Joining us right now, Captain Mike Wanacott, second in command of the rifle company with the Argyle and Sutherland Highlanders uh, from the armories here in Hamilton. Good to see you again, Mike. Thanks for coming today. Uh, good to be here, sir. Thank you very this much. This is your neighborhood, actually. You were just saying you just lived uh, just across the street here, didn't you, at one time? Uh, that's correct. I lived in Gore Park for about six years. Yeah. Uh, how long have you been with the Argyles now? So I joined in uh, 2009, uh, April Fool's Day. <laughs> is there a significance to that? <laughs> uh, no, I, I said a number of times I have no idea who the joke was on that day. Uh, it might have been me. What What made you m- make a move like that? Uh, well, so like most reservists, I have a job uh, civilian side. Uh, so I work by contract as a storyboard artist for film and TV and commercials. Yeah. Uh, and the fact of the matter is that most of the work is done out of my office at home. So I found that my world was becoming very insular, and I, I wanted some different challenges ahead of me uh, and a chance to engage with the community and make a difference, and I thought that the reserves was a good opportunity to do that. You know, people hear the term reserve and think, oh, yeah, I guess you go down there every Monday or Tuesday or whatever it is, once a week or something like that, but the rest of the time uh, you don't have too much involvement. It's a real commitment to be a reservist. Uh, it, it really varies by person. Yeah. Um, myself, I, I haven't had a weekend off since August, and I probably won't have one until December. Um, and a lot of our guys have made even more substantial commitments than that this year. Uh, we had a number of guys who went to uh, exercise Maple Resolve in Alberta for three months. Uh, and also while that was going on, we had about 20 guys deploy on Op Lentis, which was the flooding of Quebec. And we currently have two officers that are on deployment in Ukraine. Uh, and, of course, uh, during the Canadian involvement uh, in Afghanistan, uh, the Argyles, of course, uh, had a role in that as well. Uh, basically, you guys need to be ready when called. Uh, that's correct. Uh, it's actually uh, quite a commitment because we have a number of uh, training uh, check marks that we have to hit every year in order to ensure that we as individuals are, are doing what we call DAG green, which means that we are uh, administratively in a situation where we can be deployed at, at a very short notice. So how often is, is the training going on? I mean, you mentioned about some of the deployments right now. Do they do they handpick individuals for this to say, okay, you need to go here, you need to go there? Because, I mean, there's, there's training going on all over the world. I mean, you talk to some of the other regiments around the country, of course, uh, the Princess, Princess Patricias and others like this. I mean, uh, you, you hear about them going to different parts of the world, et cetera. That's uh, always an option, I would think, too. Well, so the, there's a deployment cycle by area, and right now it's Ontario's uh, obligation to, okay. to help support the regular force. So as uh, the regular force uh, has a requirement for us to supplement uh, what their activities are, then uh, the gaps will appear, and and those will be assigned to different uh, areas to be able to try and support that. Uh, Now, there's not as many of those positions as the reserves would like because we all want to make a contribution uh, so it's actually quite competitive trying to trying to get a spot to, to go overseas. Uh, we, you and I were talking uh, just a few minutes ago, and, of course, uh, uh, Lawrence Hatfield, your former commander, of course, uh, a friend of ours, and uh, was up to the officer's mess, and he was telling us some stories there and some of the pictures. Well, you've seen them, and uh, it's it's a fascinating story, the the history of the Argyle and Sutherland Highlanders and, and the deployments and some of the places that they've been and some of the places they've served. Uh, absolutely. Um, I mean, we actually just recently released a, a book on the 19th Battalion uh, Canadian Expeditionary Force, which was supported quite a bit by the Argyles. And uh, I've just had a chance to crack into it in the last couple of days. And uh, some of the things that I was reading about, uh, like their participation in battles like Vimy Ridge, um, it's it's quite stunning. And it's uh, it's a very uh, important heritage for us to, to honor, uh, particularly on this day. A couple of years ago, Rebecca and I, my wife and I were in uh, Edinburgh. And... Uh, you go along the Royal Mile there uh, in Upper Edinburgh, the old part of the city, and uh, St. Giles Church is uh, is right there. And it's basically a museum uh, church, uh, but it, uh, it also, I think, reflects a number of the great military uh, accomplishments there. And uh, we were just fascinated as we saw one of the, uh, the little shrines there it was actually in honor of the original Argonne Southerners, the 1st Regiment. 
uh, the parent regiment, I guess, for the one here in Hamilton as well. Uh, that dates back a few hundred years, obviously. I mean, you start looking at that. I remember uh, texting a picture of it back to Ron Foxcroft, who was the honorary colonel at the time, uh, with the southern part of the Senate there now. And uh, it's it's fascinating the history here. And I guess you don't really get an understanding of that until somebody like yourself has that opportunity to really get into it in in such a big way. I'll I'll tell you. Uh, I mean, there's there's a tendency I think for us to to really not um, uh, like realize some of the events we read about in our history. Uh, I had a chance to go to Vimy in 2015. I wasn't with the Army. I was on vacation. Um, but, I mean, we every Army person reads about this at some point during their career because it's a, it's a major moment for in Canadian history, a major moment for the Canadian Army. But to actually see the ground uh, was an entirely different experience. And I think probably most striking about it was that the area is completely fenced off. You can't walk on the actual grass. And it's not a matter of disrespecting the, the grounds. It's that, like, there are still ordnance that are buried in the earth uh, from 100 years really? ago. Really? And, and as early as the day before, uh, in a, a nearby battlefield, I think in Amiens, uh, there had actually been some cattle that had just stepped in the wrong spot and had exploded, uh, which, you know, when you see the scope of the area and how, how badly it's been pockmarked by the artillery there, um, it just it, it brought home exactly how much, like, carnage and savagery actually occurred on that 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 place let me ask you something having done that I, I, as i talked to some people that were at dieppe during the ceremonies there uh, some time ago and uh, they said there's, there's almost a surreal feeling that over overtakes you when you're in a place like that where something uh, as historic as 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 as, as vimy for instance was uh, how, what was what was going on in your head as you were standing there well i, I think the the biggest uh, sort of emotional connection to me was that uh, you see the names on the wall um and, and so to sort of contextualize it, uh, when Nathan Cirillo was shot, uh, I had to sort of gather some information for the, the public affairs people mm-hmm. about him biographically. And even though I'd, I'd known him, I had sort of, I, I think, callously written him off as a bit of a knucklehead uh, because I'd been his platoon commander. And, and then when I had talked to some of the lads who had worked with him, uh, you know, the, just sort of the richness of his life as an individual uh, became apparent to me. And, it, and I'd sort of resolved to try and, you know, consider my soldiers more individually uh, as people and so to see the wall of names that's up there uh and there's just thousands of them um it it, it was just striking to try and you know visualize each one of these people and then the effect that this have on their families and their communities and, and just how broad that was across the country well because we see people in uniform like like yourself today and, and others of course with the the rileys and the argyles and you just say, oh, that's a soldier. Uh, and you don't take into consideration about the individual and the commitment and the sacrifice that many of them make to do what they do. Uh, yeah, I think uh, there's a strong tendency for us to, I mean, for anybody to see somebody in uniform uh, and, and you just kind of write them off uh, like because we all look the same, right? You just become a little bit less of a person, I think, uh, in a way. Um, it, it's, a, it's a difficult thing to overcome. Uh, we're always trying to communicate that soldiers are, are people too. I think reserves are probably a very good way to do that because we're connected directly to the community. But you know what you see in this city, uh, if you go around to some of the older churches or the Hamilton Club just around the corner here and some of the other establishments, and you see the, the plaques of the people who served and, and lost their lives in, in World War One and World War Two, for that matter, and you see some of the names, and some of them are familiar simply because they're, they're family names that are familiar in this community, but they were lawyers, uh, businessmen, steel workers, salespeople, I mean, 
people from everyday walks of life who that we have to remember volunteered to say, look, I'm going to go and serve the country, and they lost their lives. It, it really kind of hits home that the, that these are just ordinary people that said, yes, I want to do something for my country, and they put on the uniform and, and paid the ultimate sacrifice. It's, it's the exact same thing today. Uh, m- most of our soldiers are probably students right now. Because uh, a lot of guys who get into, you know, get some experience or they want to get into policing or some other service, so looking for extra experience, uh, or they're just looking to, you know, pay their way th- through school. Um, but at the same time, we have guys who are cops, lawyers, teachers, uh, quite a few guys actually in corrections right now as well. Uh, so, yeah, they, they have normal everyday jobs and uh, where most people would, you know, take their Wednesday night off or take their, you know, one week at a month or, or better off, uh, they come in every every time and, uh, you know, make the additional sacrifice. It's, it's fascinating. Uh, Mike, always a pleasure to have you on the program. Great to see you again. Uh, thanks so much for being with us today, and thank you for the great work that you do with the Argyles. Uh, thank you very much. It was a great opportunity to have a chance to talk. Captain Mike Wanakut, uh, second in command of the Rifle Company, the Argyle and Sutherland Highlanders. Pleasure to welcome our next guest, Ian Kerr Wilson, is the manager of museums and heritage uh, for the city of Hamilton. Uh, great to see you again, Ian. Oh, it's good to be here. This is a part. I, I'm going to guess uh, the first time in about nine or ten months now. You've had a chance to sit down and actually in exhale. <laughs> this Canada 150, and you've been a very busy guy. Yeah, we've. Uh, it's been a. Uh, it's been a fantastic year, and I, uh, the support from the federal government for the infrastructure funding has been been, been wonderful. But of course, that means we've got to deliver. We've got uh, you know 15 months to do five pretty major capital restoration projects uh, in in commemoration of uh, 150 years of Canada so what's what maybe you should mention some oh. of those just so folks can get an idea I know they're they're emblazoned in your mind right now but I mean some pretty important things yes uh, this is a test to see if I can remember <laughs> them all um, well the uh, up at Griffin house which is their black uh, yeah. history site national historic site uh, we're doing we're putting in some amenities uh, you know uh, upgrading security and things like that and actually getting some toilets up there which we haven't had in the past and that's really going to make Make it possible for people to come out and uh, really engage with that site, which is an incredibly important part of Hamilton's heritage, which we, we, you know, um, we don't necessarily make all that prominent. But it's the it's the it's the home of Enerol's Griffin and his family. And Enerol's Griffin was a black uh, African Canadian who came north from Ohio, near as we can tell, and set up a farm and had a prosperous farm. And he's a really interesting story of a settler, uh, a black settler in, in in this area. The other one that's big, you know, you probably people come across it in the news now and again, uh, Akmar, uh, we're working Heard on of it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so, so have I. Um, the, uh, uh, we're working on uh, the next phase of restoring the stone garden uh, fence, which is uh, uh, there's about a thousand feet of stone wall. And it all has to be redone over time. So it's so we're doing it a bit at a time, and there's a big chunk of money in that. We've been doing some work at St. Mark's, uh, which is not too far from here, of course. That's yeah, the, just kitty corner to City Hall there on Bay Street. That's right. We're in the phase to transform St. Mark's into a community cultural facility. The local neighborhood, the, the Duran Neighborhood Association, has been pushing for years and years and years to, you know, uh, get that green space back into uh, into public use and to turn this, that space into a into a community kind of space. Where we'll be doing programming and theater and music and things like that and then on down to Dundurn where we're uh, uh, we're doing some work in the old coach house the coach house is actually the it's actually the second coach house there and we use it for a lot of different purposes but uh, the roof was being held up by happy thoughts and force of habit (laughs) (laughs) I don't actually know why it wasn't raining inside the building so we got that got got that redone so that uh, all of those uh, projects are um, 
uh, are certainly keeping us busy, and that's really been the focus. So, I mean, we've had some other capital projects we should be getting to, but, uh, you know, we've put those down the road so we can get through this, these things. I, I, I was somebody who's been born and raised, of course, in, the, in this city, and I, I love the city dearly. And my dad was a bit of a history buff, obviously, yeah. since he was born and raised here, just at Robert and Mary Street, just a block or two away from the armories. Mm. But he used to show, you know, bring pictures back and talk about this, that, and the other thing in the downtown and everything. And when you start looking at this, and, and of course, this is right into your wheelhouse, though, yeah. there's some fascinating stories about the city and the residents of the city over the years. And you mentioned about Griffin House and John C. Holland and so mm. many other folks like yeah. this. And, and they're not just names in history. There's stories behind yeah. them that are fascinating. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, you know, history really is, uh, it's about storytelling and it's about building meaning out of these things and building, a, you know, a sense of place and identity. And that's what we, we try and do with the work. But you're right, this, the... The, the challenge is that the well, stories are out there, and how do you how do you um, bring them to people? How do you get people to think about and re- reflect on them? Um, uh, you know, one of the things that we're trying to do a lot more is program uh, program outside the museums, and you know, in the street and and uh, in events uh, outside the museums where we can we come to people rather than asking people to come to us. And um, you know, and in some ways, actually, uh, the, you know, the event we're, we're you know Remembrance Day today is an opportunity to to uh, you know connect with some of those stories themselves and and ask people to reflect ask people to think about what it means to them you know um, the first world war means something to us that it different from what, what the people who in 1920 the people who came through it you know they had a, a reaction to the war and now we have a different one and we need to think about that and think about what it all means well and some of the names I was just talking with Captain Wanakot a few minutes ago mm. from the Argyles and we were talking about some of the memorials that are placed in some of the old churches and old buildings oh. uh, and it's, I mean some incredible stories behind those those names yeah absolutely and, and and I heard you were saying you know in many ways they were just they were just people you know uh that you know they're they you know they weren't these sort of uh, movie star action heroes they were just people who decided that this is something they had to do they signed up and they went and you read these stories about people you know clerks and uh guys lying about their age to to, to go off and and um you know facing the the horror of of the first and the second world war and coming back really changed people this is the, the story we often we hear a lot about it particularly at the military museum is the is people saying, yeah, you know, Uncle Charlie was different when he came back, you know, and uh, now I understand why he was different. You know, he went away, this one guy came back after that war, and he was, you know, he was never quite the same. How, I, could, I, you, how could you experience that and not have changed you? Yeah. Uh, you know, Mike was just talking about being in Vimy, and, and mm. this is, by the way, too, this year, the 100th anniversary of Passion Day. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and those battles, and now that we're, we're starting to focus on those and hear some of those stories and the stories of people from this area that served it, and some who lost their lives, some who came back. Yeah. But it, it, how could it not change you? It, yeah. You're, you're a different person. Yeah. And And... Coincidentally, of course, the city is growing up, yeah. and this country is growing up at the yeah. same time. Yeah, um, I actually think about you know my 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 grandfather who went through the Second World War, and and uh, he was never able to talk about a lot of stuff, but he wrote a memoir. And after you know reading his memoir, the stuff that he couldn't talk to us about, uh, and now you under I, you know you understand who who, uh, who he was. But you know to to your point about the city changing, you know the uh, you know there. 2,000 names, um, you know, inside the cenotaph of guys who didn't come back from the war, and the population was 100,000. And you think about that in terms of imagine a city now, which half a million call it, and that would be 10,000 people not coming back. Imagine how that would affect us. So, you know, uh, and now in here in Hamilton, we've got people who've come to Hamilton 
to flee this kind of conflict, to get away from this kind of thing, to, uh, uh, and, you know, again, they have a different reaction to something, an event like this, and to, you know, the, to what we've done here in, in Gore Park. Uh, they have a different reaction to it than people like, say, you and I, who, you know, have grown up somewhat remote for it, from it. So there's an opportunity for everybody in the community to sort of have the conversations and to, to hear other people's perspectives on this sort of stuff. And these, this is why these things are so meaningful and so important. They're, you know, this is what builds, this is what builds and stitches a community together. Well, to, I guess to paraphrase one of the old songs from uh, the First World War, Over There, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. it was something in the abstract for many of us. Yes. I mean, we could never imagine what they saw, what yeah. they went. Uh, we didn't have satellite uh, TV that you could say, here, you know, let's let's go to Ian now in yeah. Beirut or, <laughs> yeah, exactly. or you know, wherever it was. Yeah. It was just we had to wait uh, sometimes days, weeks to get some of the details. And even then, you had to try, try to formulate in your mind exactly what yeah. was going on. It's a different world these days. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's, um, you know, we're... Uh, you th yeah, once again, you think about even in the Second World War where, you know, you're starting to get radio and TV uh, coming back. But uh, even that, you know, you're, you're still that much more removed. Whereas now, I mean, it's like it's in your pocket. You open up your cell phone and there's, there's uh, you know, there's footage of a bombing somewhere. And, and that's got to be, I don't know if we've really figured out what that, what the implications of that are. Um, but I think it is changing, uh, changing the way we think about conflict and things like that. The, I often talk about in terms of the First World War, one of the things that changed after the war is it became very difficult to talk about the war in kind of um, boys' own annual glorious, you know, you know, guys marching off, and, yeah. and it was all there was some there was a sort of a romanticism about about war before the First World War. After the First World War, you couldn't really that you couldn't really carry that conversation, could you? That just wasn't going to work anymore. And I think that's that's simply accelerated now. I think that's probably more true now than it was a hundred years ago, where you know it's, you just can't talk about these things in kind of naive, romantic kinds of ways. Well, they call it the first great war, the great mm. the, the war to end all wars. Yes, yeah, uh, war but you're right. The attitude when you talk to to the historians will tell you that uh, a lot of them thought, "Oh, this is just going to be a couple of weeks. Yeah, this will be. Won't this be? You know, we're, this is gallant. This will be a, a good. <laughs> let's yeah. go over there and you know it, make make men of us all. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and we'll be back in a few weeks uh, and yeah. carry on with our lives and you're right they came back as changed people yeah and 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 that the, the, the you know the fundamental technology of the war changed all of that and um you know you could have that idea you know in july of 1914 you know november of 1918 that was all gone and, very quickly i know yeah. our time is running a little yes. short here uh i would be remiss though if we talked about some of the great work that you and your staff are doing uh, if we didn't mention gore park itself yes. and the work that's gone on here I, I continue to be amazed with the the renovation and the retooling of this park it's yeah. just amazing yeah well thanks to i mean that's the, this is the, every part of the city is involved in this it, you know it's certainly not just tourism and culture by any means it's you know it's uh landscape you know and parks and people like that they uh, you know, this is a feature of the city, and and we're all really proud of how it's coming out. Yeah. Well, I mean, because they got it wrong a few times over the years. <laughs> yeah, we'll and, pass over that. Uh, yeah, yeah. just uh, <laughs> been there, done that. Yeah, uh, and I don't want to go over some of those horrific pictures in my mind of some of the things that were done here. But I mean, it's it's sensational the way it is right yeah. now. Uh, still looking at John A's back, but I mean, it's uh, you know that, that this too shall pass. And there's yeah, a lot will. of other things happening. It will. It's it's remarkable. Ian, always a pleasure to have you on the program. Likewise. Thanks to you and your staff, of course, uh, for all the great work that you're doing. Well, thank you. It's a, always a pleasure. Ian Kerr Wilson, manager, museums and heritage presentation, of course, for the city. Bob Fife is, uh, of course, with the Veterans Committee. Dave Steckham is going to be the master ceremonies also for the veterans guys. Great to have both of you here. Thanks so much for this today. 
Thank uh, you. Dave, Dave, this this is a, a long, arduous process, and, and working with the Veterans Committee with the City of Hamilton uh, to, to get this thing done is is an awful lot of work and, and takes a great deal of effort by a lot of people, doesn't it? It certainly does. Uh, if it wasn't for the help of uh, some of the staff on the city, uh, I don't know how we would get this done. We've been very, very lucky in having uh, some uh, great people working with us over the years. Uh, we're hoping that we can keep a, a steady individual for the next little while. To, once they've uh, learned how to do all this stuff, then uh, they're invaluable to us. Bob, how many years have you been doing this now? Oh, God, it's got to be 10 or better, you know. Uh, been involved with the United Council of Veterans, then I became a member of the Veterans Committee, and, and uh, uh, you know, I contributed and uh, the former chairs like uh, John Clark, who, who passed away unfortunately too young, and, and others uh, uh, gave up the position and I ended up being the chair. And <laughs> next man up. <laughs> the next man. And I think my biggest test was uh, the year that uh, uh, where we're sitting, uh, the uh, veterans place was under construction and we had to find a place and run the ceremonies and then the Leona station of course was one and then city hall was the second one because we had two praise that year yeah that's right and that was a lot a lot of stress on me because uh, you know i uh, i wanted to make sure it was done properly and uh, looking back at it i'm glad we did it that way and it turned out very well and we had a lot of good results from that point since that was a very difficult year in, in so many different ways, but obviously because of the construction here and the relocation of the ceremony. But it was also, of course, the year that, uh, that Nathan Cirillo was killed. And uh, we, we remember, of course, that added extra pressure of uh, security, etc. I remember talking to Chief Decay or Glenn Decay at the time uh, the, 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 when we had the ceremony over there at City Hall. And, and of course, it was only a couple of weeks after uh, Sir Nathan was, was killed. Uh, and it, it put an awful lot of extra pressure and work uh, as far as extra planning i guess dave to make sure that that ran smoothly oh absolutely um just the sheer logistics of trying to of opening up streets and uh, making sure that the uh, police do their part and uh, where everybody's going to march to uh, you you sort of get lulled into a false sense of security when you keep on doing it at the same place and then suddenly when they take it away from you <laughs> it's a real challenge you know we talk about the, those who served in World War One, World War Two, the, the Korean conflict, uh, Canadians who served in Vietnam—it goes down the list. Uh, but when when Nathan was killed, uh, and, and I guess there've been other examples of this too, uh, that other Hamiltonians who died in service, of course, in Afghanistan and in other conflicts like that, it it, it, it really hits home, doesn't it? it? It just reminds us that this is not just a piece of history. This is something oh. that goes on on a consistent basis with people who serve their country. That's true. And uh, yeah, for one, my uh, wife's uncle was killed on the beaches of Dieppe uh, in, uh, August 19, 1942. And he's buried at Dieppe. And I've had the fortune or misfortune of being there twice uh, at his grave site and uh, to be able to play the last post on the beaches of Dieppe. And that was an honor for me. And uh, you know, uh, but it's it's close to home. It's family, and, and 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 there's thousands of others that are in the same position that I was in. You know, and uh, and some of them never got back to Europe to see where their loved ones were buried. And uh, it's but if they ever get the chance, it's quite a sight. You know, to go and, uh, to visit the cemeteries in in Europe, how they look after them. We we all get so busy in our lives and. 
you know, doing this, doing that, living and existing and paying the bills and going to work, etc. But it, it's such an important day, I think, Dave, to, to sit back and reflect and tell those stories and, and just remember about the sacrifice. I, I had an uncle that, uh, that died in World War II. Uh, never met him, obviously, but I've uh, been heard the stories of I had a cousin that I did know who died in Vietnam, uh, who served with the U.S. military and, and lost his life in a second tour of duty over there. And and I think we need to talk about that and need to talk about those stories and and, and put faces to, to those names. And, and it's, a, I think, an important part of our history, and I think it's good for us, too. I think you're absolutely right. Uh, I, I believe here in North America we kind of get uh, lulled into a little bit of a sense of security that these things have never really happened on our doorstep and uh, it's not ever really brought to home until you sort of visit some of these places. In 1983 I was lucky enough to uh, be on the honor guard at Vimy and uh, I'd never been there before and uh, one side is is very very uh, smooth and that's where the troops uh, do their parade the other side of the monument, you see the, they've never done anything with it. And there's the craters, and there's the holes, there's the rolling ground uh, of, of everything that's happened there. And um, when you experience something like that, and you see firsthand these things, it really brings it home. But here in North America, we have a tendency to, uh, um, I don't know, uh, think of it as somebody else's problem. But then again, we were involved as well. Well, to actually be there, on the, and as, as you guys did, and, and be in those battlegrounds, it, there's a certain significance. This is a there's a feeling I think that overcomes. I I, I know this when, when you see something like that happen and know that what happened there, the history, the, and the loss of life, the massive loss of life that occurred there. It's uh, it's 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 something that really I guess never leaves you, is it? No, never. No. no. And Memories, that's, you know, people ask me uh, uh, about the poppy. And I got this from Jack McFarland, uh, and Jack told me many, many years ago, he said, I put that poppy on my tunic, it stays there forever, because it reminds me every day of what what it's there for. And uh, so my poppy on my tunic stays there every day. The only time it comes off is when the jacket goes in for cleaning, and then it goes right back on again. Well, just as, just as the military service does as well. But, for, for veterans that you guys have talked with and, and served with all these many years too, how is, how important is it for us to talk about these events and talk about the, the sacrifice and those stories? Well, I think it is important, and I think it's uh, important for the youth of this country to to listen and understand uh, what all these fellows that went before them are doing uh, for their protection and uh, and freedoms and. Uh, and it's an effort, and it's it's work. It's 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 not a joke in some cases. Some people might think it's a joke, but it's not a joke. These guys are there for a reason, and uh, that's why the government of Canada hires them, and uh, trains them, and uh, they're there for our protection. It's a it's a great sacrifice, and I know that one of the great programs uh, that. Uh, the federal government, I think, was responsible for was getting the veterans to start visiting schools. And our dear friend Fern Viola, of course, when he was working for Veterans Affairs Canada, was instrumental in, he- in getting that program working here in Hamilton. And uh, I know that the veterans I talked to that actually did that uh, and were amazed at the response they got from, from kids in elementary school that had great questions and stories and wanted to hear about that. And that's, that, that, that really, I think, creates that bond between generations. Yeah. Speaking of Fern, he won't be here today. And this will be the, For the first time in first like time a thousand years. Can, that I can remember that he won't be singing old Canada. And, uh, uh, and, you know, it's funny, he's in hospital, and I went to visit him. And uh, uh, 
I asked him the question. I said, Fern, you won't be singing Old Canada this year. He says, unfortunately not. So I says, I'm going to throw a name at you, and you tell me yes or no. And uh, and I said, Serena Payton. And he said, yes, right away. And Fern's all gung-ho about the fact that Serena is going to sing in his place today. And, Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, I was at a concert with her last night. She sang 20 songs all by herself and did an outstanding job. And it, uh, it, uh, we're going to be in for a treat today. Sure, she's a great talent. And uh, Fern, we're thinking about you. Uh, guys, thanks so much for the great work that your committee does all year long. And uh, I don't know which one of you is responsible for the weather, but it worked again. Joining us now, Kevin Ellis uh, from the Northwall Riders Association, the Steel City Chapter. Good to see you again, Kevin. Thanks for coming today. My pleasure, Bill. This is a, an incredible story. We were just talking before we did uh, came back on the air here about the dedication of, uh, of the Northwall Riders. Maybe for those who don't know, you could explain a little bit about what your organization does. Absolutely. Uh, we were founded in uh, uh, actually in Windsor, Ontario, and we were the uh, keepers of the veterans' wall there for the Vietnam vets. And it's very similar to the one that's found in Washington, D.C. Uh, whereas um, the names of all the, the uh, soldiers killed in Vietnam are listed, but there wasn't one for Canada. And uh, one was erected in, in uh, Windsor, and we do an annual run every year to it to remember the Canadians that served in Vietnam. Very similar, of course, to the to the ones that we've heard about, of course, down in the United States, where I, I don't know tens of thousands of riders, I guess, and they, they re I guess they start in the West Coast, really, and work their way east, and uh, as they move eastward, others join them, and it's uh, this huge, huge rally, of course, in Washington when they finally get there, and and the same thing happening here in Canada, of course, with your group. Absolutely, uh, I, the last numbers I heard from the last year's run. Uh, the year before it was 350. I believe it was a half a million bikes this year in Washington. And I mean, uh, you know, the, the lot of the people that are there on those bikes are just civilians. There's a lot of veterans. There's a lot of families, uh, family members. Yeah. I mean, it's just an incredible uh, showing of support for those that served. We had a mini version of the Vietnam Wall. Here's here. It's probably eight or ten years ago now. Uh, but it's a, it's a side in one of those stories that, that we don't hear an awful lot about, about, uh, about Canadians and our families or friends of Canadians who served in, and lost their lives in Vietnam. Well, that's part of the problem. I mean, a lot of people don't realize just how many Canadians served. It was in excess of 14,000 uh, Canadians that went over and served in Vietnam, and many of them lost their lives. And until recently, uh, they were just seen as vigilantes. They weren't part of the American military, and they weren't part of the Canadian military. So they weren't listed on the American wall. And that's what prompted the uh, two Marines out of the U.S. to build the wall here in Canada uh, because they said that the Canadians that served over there and lost their lives uh, were just as valiant as anyone else, but no one would recognize them. So now there's a place for them to be recognized. Well, we're starting to see that, and I'm, I'm so glad to see this. And, and the work that you guys do, of course, Kevin, is, is a, a key part of that, is to tell those stories. And, and that's one of the things that, that I think we must do on Remembrance Day is, is to remember those people uh, and there are so many others. I mean, we tend to think about, you know, the, the great organizations like the Argyles and the Rileys here in Hamilton, of course, these two regiments. But there's, the, there's, there's those who served in Vietnam. There's the Merchant Marine. Stories that don't get told very often, but they're just as important because of the contribution and the sacrifice that they made. Yeah, I mean, you know, for myself, I mean, my father, uh, I was unaware of the fact that my father served. Uh, because he never spoke about it, but he was a merchant marine. Uh, his brothers went overseas, but my dad was too young. So dad stayed down here and worked on the, uh, on the um, harbor loading ships. And, uh, you know, the only way that I found that out was doing some family research 
family research and I found out that uh, he had uh, showed his ID once and at, a, at a crossing and that's how I found out that dad served. It's, it's an incredible story, and uh, it's, it's the work that you guys do with the North Wall Riders that really brings that home, and of course, and, and underscores the fact that we need to talk about this and we need to recognize those folks. Kevin, thank you for the great work that you're doing with the organization, and thanks for coming on the show today. Absolutely. Lest we forget. It is always a pleasure to uh, have our next guest with us, uh, a fixture, of course, in Remembrance Day ceremonies for many, many years here in Hamilton. Fred Engelberg, a World War II veteran, is with us. It's good to see you again, Fred. Thanks for coming today. Hi. How many years have you been doing this now? Uh, it was 1940. Uh, yep, it was 42. I joined the Army in 40, 1940. How old were you? Yeah. How old were you when uh, you joined? Uh, 19 or 20. 20. Okay. And you're, you're with, with the Rileys, of course, the Royal Hamilton Light Infantry. And you I'm served. Sorry? You were with the Rileys, the Royal with Hamilton Rileys, Light Infantry. Yes. And served over in World War II. Yeah. Uh, some incredible stories that you've been telling us about over the years. You were just talking to me right now. It's a, it's a little chilly today. I think it's about minus six, I think. Uh, there, at least we're just mentioning on the news. Uh, but uh, you, you were saying, you, you, you were not this guy. You talked to us about Germany in 1943 when you're going over there because yeah. when you, you said all you had on there was a jacket. And we, we started a march from Königsberg. Uh, 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 that's where all the rich Germans stay, on the Baltic Sea, I think it is. Mm-hmm. And my train across uh, northern uh, Germany, train across northern Poland, until we got to uh, Denmark. We, we uh, crossed the bridge into Denmark, and we immediately turned around and kicked us out and said, no, we can't feed you, we don't <laughs> want you here. I was just had your foot at the time. And uh, we came back into Germany, and that is the day that one of the biggest... So you just turned around and went all the way back? No, just trusted yeah. the bridge over the bridge in, yeah. into, into, into Denmark. Okay. And then we, 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 the next morning we were on, on a hillside, and this crazy little plane came in, dropped one, got the smoke canister here, one here, four of them, actually. And I, thought, and I heard somebody say, oh, my God, they're going to bomb the place. And it was about, I must say, like 20 miles away from us, or maybe farther. And all of a sudden, this huge mass of noise, like 10 or 15 fruit chains overhead. Big bombers, black bombers, white bombers, night bombers, small bombers. You've never seen so damn many bombers. And they went swearing off the mat. That was the name of the town where the V2 was being lost from in oh, England. Okay. Because we see here in Hamilton uh, the Lancaster bomber, of course. You know, there's only two of them flying in the world now, and one of them's right here in Hamilton. And uh, where I live in Lancaster, of course, I see it every weekend because they yeah. take it up for flying. But that's one, and it's that's loud. But, and when, but when you saw them back I, in well, Germany. I thought they were maybe 78 across. They weren't just a flight. The sound must have been deafening. And one after the other. And they kept, the whole earth is shaking where we are. They continue that town now was wiped off the map. We call it Swearing. I was in there later. We're all watching it from the hillside. It, it must have been quite a spectacle, but the noise must have been just something else, too, to see all like, hundreds of bombers instead of just one yeah. like that and, and the devastation that occurred. Uh, that was the latter stage of the war. And they, when, we, when we left Denmark, by now, Foot had left us. He left us earlier. Halfway in the in the trip, uh, the, the station trained up and had all officers in. So we got him in the train, and he took off. That's what saved his life. How long were you? Uh, how long were you, uh, in the camp? Uh, uh, yeah, how long were you a prisoner? From uh, forty, uh, from well, from yep, until 
19, uh, let me see, 19, no, not, 50, no, yeah, 50. Be a long time. 45. 1945, yeah. 45, yeah. But, but you, when you went overseas, when you went to Dieppe, when you made that crossing, uh, did you have any idea what you were going to run into? Did you have any idea about, about nothing the... Nothing like that. Nothing at all? Nothing, nothing, nothing. They didn't tell you, they didn't tell you anything? No. It was it was a total surprise then what the, what the Canadian really forces ran surpri- into. Surprise, but actually, I uh, like I told you I talked I, I talked to a Russian soldier. Yeah, he wasn't Russian. He was a Polish soldier actually. He was in the Russian army. He said they had a Marshal Zhukov, Russian top man in Russia, had a, the largest army in the world on the Manchurian border. It was never going to be used. It was only there, there for one reason: to keep the Oriental countries out of the back door. Just so to, so to make sure they didn't pick up part of it. That's something that most people don't even think about. But that, that comes all the way down to military strategy, though, doesn't it? <laughs> you know, if, if instead of uh, you know, having them up there in the front lines, they were really just on a, as a defensive role against a, on the Oriental border. There, some some interesting stories. Did did you talk among yourselves? I mean, you know, different people in oh, the yeah, military. So, yeah, we, we, we trading we stories about about what what battles. Actually, I plan when I I said when I go home. I'm going to get a decent job with with, with a pension. I came home. I got on the fire department. I spent 35 years in the fire department, and I'm 38 years retired. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got that job with a pension anyway. With, with a good pension too. Yeah. I get a real good pension. Did you did you talk about the, your experience in the war during that time? A lot of people come back and said we don't want to talk about it. But no, that's, that's that, no. I I've always talked about it because it. it uh, I think there was, in the, the people in the camp talked about it. Yeah. I'll tell you a story. I, Ed Giberly, Giberly, Liberty, pardon me, Ed Liberty, his father was a police uh, school cop up in Warrington, uh, Queensdale, by the way. And uh, I talked to him and I said, Ed, come on, I'm going to get the hell out of here. I'm not staying here. He said, How, what are we going to do? I said, we're going to change our identity. So we go to the compound next door, which is where all the British troops from Dunkirk. I took over a fellow's name. His name was Herman Scarrell. Okay. And he Ed took over another fellow's name. And they, they sent us to southern Poland to work in the quarry. And uh, we were only there a couple, for three days, and the sergeant came over and he said, Who the hell are you guys? I said, Who wants to know? He said, I do. I, and I said, We're Canadians. He said, I thought so. <laughs> <laughs> so did, he, did he they said, let I'll you stay you, there? I'll give, you, I'll give you a week to get out of here. Oh, really? Because you're going to make things bad. We could, we've been here since Dunkirk. Y'all, most of these guys talk German by now. <laughs> and I said, thanks for nothing. Anyways, that night we took off. And we were in the hills. Uh, and finally we get, we get picked up by a German doctor and, and uh, 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 captain in the army. What's he in Hoffman. Hoffman, yeah. Yeah. Any, anyways, he is, he said to me, uh, we, we were in the hills for a couple of days, and it poured all rain all that night. We get in the shed and we were soaking wet. The church and boards off the shed that the people had built when they tend their their gardens in, in the mountainside. But we, but we knew that by doing that, we'd tell everybody down below in the valley, somebody up there, <laughs> burning something. Anyways. We, in the morning, we could hear the hounds. 
in the, the whole sound up from the mountainside. And you could hear these dogs, hounds have a different sound than average dogs. Yeah. And I thought, well, let's get the hell out of here. We can't stay here. We were actually about three days on the move away from there, on, between the uh, Polish border and back into, into uh, uh, another country. What the hell is that? Austria. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and uh, Czechoslovakia, down where the Alps meet. So what did what did you eat when you're on the run like that? You have to eat. Mm. Did you eat anything? Oh, eat. No, no we, had, we took quite a bit of food visits. Okay, we okay. Yeah, we'd been saving it up. Oh, okay, good. And uh, uh, we had a... I think the strange part was... I just wasn't going to sit there and do nothing. I'm one of those people that, In those days, I used to... Let's go back to the start. When they first taken prisoner, they put us on these boxcars. Carried... They, Big sign in the box card said four, uh, 15, 15 horses and uh, no, 40 men or 30 men, 40 men and 15 horses. I think that's what it said. Uh-huh. And we're all in it, and they're wounded as well. As well. Jack McFarland was there in the same car that yeah, I was Jack, in. Jack, a good friend, Jack. And uh, uh, as we're going across France, they're letting us out, and they're letting us out, walking. I think, well, they're being nice to us. It didn't make sense that they were being nice to us. No, they weren't being nice to us. It was propaganda. Because a week, a few, few weeks after that, they took a picture, which I have, I, I, of the prisoners, and we, they weren't telling the people, send them home. Let your family know that you're being looked after. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Always propaganda. It oh, my God. It's amazing stories. Amazing stories that no, you've I told No, I what I did when they, when they did. The, I was a corporal at the time. Now, if you're a sergeant, you don't have to go to work. So I put up three straights. <laughs> and then, I, if I'm going to send this picture to my mother, I want her to see me. I'm not going to be in the back. So I stick a pipe in my mouth. If I, had, I wish I had the picture, I was going to bring it. <laughs> so she would see me. Remarkable stories. Fred, it's always a pleasure to see you. Uh, yeah. Stay warm. Uh, you, you keep that blanket on. It's a little chilly today, but always yeah. a pleasure. Thanks so much for your service to the country, and thanks so much for, for being with us on the program today, Fred. Hey, it feels a bit, bit warmer. I get warmed up. Good. <laughs> well, <laughs> Fred Engelbrecht, uh, one of the oldest surviving members, of course, of the Royalties, the Royal Hamilton Light Infantry, who uh, served, uh, of course, and was captured uh, in the, uh, the Dieppe raid, of course, the Canadian raid on Dieppe, and uh, some incredible stories that he's told us year after year. Nicole Jones is a student who's going to have a very, very important part uh, in the ceremony that's going on. Thanks for coming on the show today, oh, Nicole. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to meet you. You too. Uh, it says here in your bio that you are a student. Where do you go to school? I'm actually uh, not a student. I'm an uh, older youth. Well, you used yes. to be a student. I used to be a student, and I went to cathedral. Yeah. Ah, okay, okay. Now, how did you get involved in this? Uh, so I sit on the Urban Indigenous Strategy for Hamilton. So it's a committee of indigenous organizations and also the staff from the city of Hamilton. And we have this big committee in where we in, uh, incorporate indigenous people and organizations to help. Uh, our, our target right now is the indigenous uh, community so that 
how the city can help the indigenous community um, be a better place, basically. It's it's one of the key parts, I think, of this ceremony, as we've seen how it's evolved over the years, yes. uh, is the in- inc- inclusiveness of this to try to uh, re- reflect not just the community, but I think those that have made contributions to, to Canada's history and heritage. Yes. So you're certainly a part of that, too. Now, were you aware, as you were growing up, about uh, about the indigenous heritage and, and their part in, in this and, and the ceremony and of course in 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 the military uh, i was aware of my family that did serve my great-grandfather served and my great-uncle served as well too um i wasn't uh, very aware of like the indigenous culture growing up uh, my grandma attended residential school so our tradition was lost um so my my great-uncle he started getting into um our traditions and our culture and that's when i felt like i really had to have a need to bring that tradition and culture back to my family and my community as well too so you had this yearning i think a lot of us do that when our and slot you're right a lot of the time it's our parents or our grandparents that kind of put us down that road isn't it and, exactly and yes. you get one of those i didn't know that moments and say <laughs> i want to learn more about that yeah <laughs> so it must have been very revealing as, as you started to actually find out about your family's history as well yes yes i felt like a part of me was complete again yeah it's it's like those you know commercials you know that will try to find out your lineage etc like that but i mean it, it shows you about about the contributions that are going on what what did you find out? What were the, the things, the revelations that, that, that came across uh, as, as you started to dig into some of that history? Um, that my grandma did attend residential school and about um, my uncles and my great-grandfather being in the military and serving and um, just more about my family history and like the lineage as well too. So It's amazing, uh, isn't it, Aunt? because we, we find this, I think, with a lot of our families as we start to dig into the history. Uh, that they don't talk about it very much uh, yeah. for a variety of reasons. Yes, obviously, of you know, the residential schools we know now is is one of the dark moments of Canadian history, and, and uh, I, you know, we, I guess, in the past had a tendency to suppress that and say, "Well, let's just pretend that never happened," exactly. but it did happen, yes. and we need to talk about that. Exactly, and the whole point of the strategy is to move forward, and that's exactly what we need to do: is move forward. Exactly, yes. exactly. Now, what are you going to be doing today? So I will be um, doing Flanders Field. Me and another youth will be doing. I'll be singing it in English, and he'll be singing, uh, saying it in French. Okay, and uh, that's going to be part of the ceremony in about a half hour, 45 minutes or so from now. Yes. Uh, such a, a key part of this, too, and, and, and uh, the poem itself, of course, written by a young man from Guelph, Ontario, uh, who died uh, not too long after he wrote the poem, of course. Uh, and again, to, to, to hear those stories and to learn these things is, is, is really revealing and fascinating, isn't it? Of course, yes. Uh, there's there's more to it than just words. There's stories. There's uh, there's the people behind it, uh, and and those are the sorts of things that come out in the ceremony. It's got to be a real honor to be a part of this. Oh, very much so. Yeah. Looking forward to it. <laughs> yes, yes. Very excited and very honored and humbled. Okay, so what are you doing with yourself now? Uh, right now, I'm just I'm a youth rep on the Indigenous Strategy, and yeah. I I work with youth as well too. So I do different or uh, different uh, events within within the community, and I also uh, uh, do facilitate with some programs with seniors and youth, and we do crafts and activities. So. A lot of outreach then. Yes, a lot of outreach. Because yeah. we find that with an awful lot of programs like that, with the great work that you're doing in those programs. Uh, people are not aware. Uh, you almost have to knock on the door and say, "Hey, we're here if you need us," yes. and, and that's a key element to this. And, uh, and it's it's, it's a, such a, an important role that you play uh, in in bringing those sorts of programs and that kind of assistance to people. Yes. Are we doing a better job of celebrating heritage? Yes. Like I said, we're moving forward, and I really 
the last couple of years I'm really seeing that now that we're moving forward and we're incorporating especially because I sit I sat on that inquiry with the school board and what our purpose was to do was to bring more indigenous education into the uh, curriculum so my part being a community member and a youth as well was to help in um, bring those resources into the classroom so I did some presentations for some um, teachers and I went to some assemblies and I, did, I went to meetings and events with the schools as well how's that received how did the students receive it how did they accept uh, it was that? A, it was amazing and it was overwhelming because so many students they just came up and they're like I'm so thankful that you're coming here and you're bringing this more into our school and then a lot of people would be like I, I found out I was indigenous as well too and I never knew that and this has helped me find a place where I I really want to um, look more into my culture and learn more about my culture. And how can they do that? Are, are there resources available oh, for them now? Yes, we have the Friendship Center, we have the Ab Aboriginal Health Center, we have um, the, it, in all the schools we have the Nawa program and um, it's for at-risk youth and it's, uh, youth in the schools that um, are looking to find the culture. So they provide academics and culture and they, um, support and counseling as well, too. Uh, if they want to access this, people that are listening to this right now saying, hey, I, I'd like to tap into that, how can they reach you? Um, there must email, be a website. Yeah, the also the uh, Friendship Center. There's a Facebook page. Um, you can find you can they have a website. So it's hrc.ca. There's the Health Center, and you can find that as uh, online as well too. Um, there's a lot of Facebook groups for the Indigenous community in Hamilton as well. It's it's a great resource and uh, and, and a great program that you're involved in now. And I want to thank you so much for the work that you're doing in this. And uh, good luck with this today. Thank you it's, so much. It's got to be a real thrill to be part of the ceremony. <laughs> yes, I'm very honored. I know you've come down here in the past as a spectator, but to actually be up there and, and participating in this must be a, a, just a great, great thrill for you. Yes, it is. <laughs> All right, stay warm. Thank you. <laughs> you <too. laughs> Thanks, Nicole. Thank you. Nicole Jones, uh, First Nations, uh, who's uh, taking part in the ceremony, of course. Uh, she'll be reciting in Flanders Fields a little bit later on for us. It would not be a Remembrance Day broadcast without our next guest, our good friend. Brian Henley, of course, local historian, is with us. Good to see you again, Brian. Ah, good morning, Bill. You know, I was uh, thinking as I was coming down today, this is uh, something that Sage Mail really does contribute to uh, to the community doing this uh, every year. I, it's, it's great. I, well, you know, and you know the history, of course. Warrior Green started this many years ago. I just thought it would be a, such a great idea to actually do the broadcast live from here. And uh, we're proud to carry on the tradition. And it, uh, it's amazing. Uh, because as you and I have talked about in the past, there were some years where the, the crowd was a little thin, and yeah. we wondered, well, it's maybe interest is starting to wane. Yeah, it's remarkable how it has grown. It's a huge crowd here on a Saturday morning. Well, and the energy is just quite remarkable. Uh, just on that, I remember there was. Uh, I, I've been coming to these uh, this spot pretty well every year since 1973, believe it or not. And I do remember early 80s, and I was st standing over there, and it was a rainy day. And I thought, you know, a lot of these veterans are getting pretty old and uh, don't see many younger people around and kind of wonder what's going to happen. And then look at this now. It's just incredible. Part of the reason, I think, uh, is, is because of people like Fred Engelbert, who we just had on here, and Jack McFarland, of course, our yeah. uh, friend who, who we lost this past yes. year. And Fern Viola, who sadly is not with us today. Fern's in the hospital. I'm sure he's oh, listening no. to the broadcast oh. uh, for the first time, and I can't remember how long. Fern yeah. won't be part yeah. of the broadcast and won't be singing oh. 
today, but uh, we're thinking of you for uh, sure. But but they started to tell those stories and they started to relate that, and, mm-hmm. and I guess they put faces to, to the names and to those yeah. stories. Yeah. And it's 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 amazing how how people have have grasped that now, and and, and yeah. it's it's become something that's so important to us right now. It's part of our heritage. Well, it's amazing. Uh, I have to confess, I'm a bit of a social media freak, if you will, on uh, <laughs> Facebook and uh, Twitter and whatnot. And the conversations that go all around with... Uh, just, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I'm just looking over your shoulder right now. Here comes the Lancaster, right down King Street. Whoa. Turn around. Look at this. With an escort. Or is that the Lang? Yeah, right over. Nice. You can hear that roar of the engine. Yeah, yeah. It's funny, Fred Engelbert was telling us when he was uh, a POW, of course, in Germany, and he was talking about uh, being up on the hill and actually seeing the Allied forces bombing uh, the place where the U-2 rockets were being launched from. Wow. And he says that times 100. I mean, that's how many that's bombs were there. Thinking, yeah. And he said the ground was shaking. And he says wow. that wasn't from the bombs. It was from the sound of the engines. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. Well, isn't that one of Hamilton's just blessings to have a link? Uh, showing up for a day like today and football games and all kinds of things we just watched uh, just as you were sitting down of course the uh, the parade uh, the, from the armories just uh, got here of course and, and the dignitaries are being seated but it brought back memories and you and i have talked about this in the past and you've shown some of those pictures of course with all the work that you did with the library uh, of those parades, uh, yeah. it, there always seem to be parades. There's yeah. something about a fascination with parades yeah. in yeah. the city. Well, I, you know, I think it's something our culture has lost, and maybe we can get it back again because it's so nice to have people actually physically get out of their homes and away from their TVs and other screens and just uh, do community kind of things. But we saw those pictures, of course, of uh, of the Rileys and the Argyles marching yep. off to war yep. uh, down this very same street, yep. making that very same parade yep. That, yep. Uh, that these guys did today. Yeah. Actually, I posted this morning uh, uh, two pictures of the unveiling of the Cenotaph here in 1923, and the photographer was, I, even he might have even been up in the Royal Connaught, but whatever, looking down, and there was just thousands and thousands of people. It was quite remarkable. Governor General of the day was here. What year was that? Uh, 1923. Okay. Yeah. Uh, because obviously the, the the parades have gone on for so many years and the history of that. And the, and the effort, of course, that, that we tend not to think about, but it gets home. I know you spent some of your, your younger days in Collingwood. Oh, yeah. Uh, and that, of so. course, was a shipment. We spent a lot of time up there now. And mm-hmm. you go up by the old shipyards there now, and there's a plaque there for every ship that was ever constructed there. Wow. Many of them for the Navy. Uh, you know, you think of the oh, Great Lakes Freighter, etc. But uh, but they're celebrating their heritage. I'm sure they're having a big ceremony there by the shipyards, as, yeah. as every other community is on this Remembrance Day. But a number of ships for both the British and the and the Canadian Navy were built right there in Collingwood Isn't and served something? in World War II. It's, yeah. Again, those are stories that you know heretofore nobody probably knew much about. But yeah. You start to uncover this history and then to say, hey, these are, these are incredible stories sure. of, of real people that have done incredible things. Yeah. Well, even Hamilton's got a bit of a naval uh, relationship with the uh, Second World War in mm. particular, and our old friend uh, Bill McCullough was, yep. was one of those uh, people. Uh, you know. And Bill was instrumental, of course, in making sure those stories were told yep. and, and that heritage was was recognized. Yep. And, and, and uh, you know, we do this on a Remembrance Day, but obviously we need to do it the other 364 days yep. of the year as well. Yep. But there's a, there's a proud military history here in the city. Yep. Well, and of course, Bill was, uh, with others like uh, Jack McFarland that you just mentioned, that uh, 
the uh, Veterans Committee that I knew in the past, and I'm sure it's the same today, very active, very well supported by the city, and, and pulling this kind of event uh, doesn't happen with a flick of a wrist type of thing. There's a lot of people that do a lot of uh, organization and, and work to make it happen. Well, and let's face it, it takes some commitment and some money to, to make this work, too. And I know that, uh, uh, to their credit, City Council has always been good like that. Mm-hmm. I know back in my days on City Council, uh, the, the late Bernie Morelli was a, oh, a, yeah. a strong advocate mm-hmm. uh, for the Veterans Committee. Always wanted to serve on that committee, shared sure. it for many, many years, of course, and fought very, very hard for the funding for a number of the things that are happening today, including, by the way, some of the renovations to to the park here. Yeah, Uh, and uh, the Centaf itself. I mean, we shared this story, but say 10 years ago, the Centaf was in great danger of falling over. Literally. Yeah, literally, and uh, the foundations needed uh, some work and uh, to stabilize it and everything, and it was a bit of a challenge to get the money, but uh, certainly Bernie was there. you were there with the uh, Future Fund uh, yeah. support for that project uh, at the day, back in the day as well. It's amazing, uh, the renovations. Was, we were talking with uh, Ian Kerr Wilson, of course, from the city uh, mm-hmm. earlier in the program about how the work here at Gore Park has, has moved along at such a great pace. And yeah. this is this is a different facility than it was 15, 20 years ago, oh, isn't it? Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> I'm it's, sort it's of what impatient. we always wanted it to be. Yeah. I was a, I'm an impatient person. I would, <laughs> would have liked to have seen it happen about 10, 15 years ago. But, yes. Uh, this is one thing that the city has done extremely well in terms of public cult- consultation. Were the uh, the plans for the renovation of the uh, of the park uh, generally, and its future extension across John Street too? But uh, you know, the good public cons- consultation. It was just a little delay getting the funding to get it going, but. Uh, and, and we talk about the military history and, and the people and the faces and the names and, and you know, those, as, as Ian was talking to us about, are recognized in buildings all over the place. Uh, some of the older churches have plaques, uh, the yeah. Hamilton Club and some of the other yeah. older facilities with this. Uh, but we, we'd, we'd be remiss if we had that discussion, didn't talk about the armories itself and its place. And oh, yeah. We talk about heritage buildings, sure. the armories being one of them, yeah, obviously. Yeah. Well, the, ironically, just very recently I wrote up a story about the original drill hall that was more less on the exact same spot uh, of that one it burned down in a in a fire i believe it was about 1886 and the community support for the military saying look we want it rebuilt and we want it done first class and that's what happened the, uh, the history of the city, of course, uh, it, it wartime is, is amazing. I mean, this was a, a manufacturing and industrial city around that era. Uh, and and the work that went on here in the Hamilton area played a key role in, in that movement, didn't mm-hmm. it? Oh, very much so. Uh, yeah, you know, I've often read of uh, men, particularly I'm thinking of the Second World War, that uh, would have been torn between either signing up for the armed forces or staying home and working in really vital industries uh, and there are a lot of them uh, here in the city that required you know that there certainly there are a lot of women came and filled up well that was a that's lot one of, of the other spaces. stories about that isn't it yeah. I mean, there's a change in the in the in the makeup of the workforce because yeah. of that yeah. many men went off to war and women filled the void yeah. in, in many of those factories oh for sure and uh, yeah it was i think it was one of those Markers along the uh, uh, liberation movement for uh, women uh, process still ongoing, obviously, but still, I think that was important. There's a lot of uh, women that uh, left their homes and and came here and as single and uh, 
There you go. What about the role of, of Canada on, on the world stage, especially after the Second World War? Uh, the British Empire, uh, the, the Allied forces, uh, their recognition of, of Canadians and their contribution yeah. to, to those efforts. Mm-hmm. Very interesting and strong. And even in the First World War, it was the, uh, they, they insisted that the Canadians have their own uh, leadership. Mm-hmm. And uh, all of that was very important. And the same thing happened in the Second World War. I often think also of we're remembering First World War, Second World War, but a lot of peacekeepers, uh, people in uh, Afghanistan and Iraq, uh, Korea, goes on and on. Uh, just remarkable stories about that, and you're right. I mean, previously, of course, uh, any Canadian forces that fought in, in conflicts like that were under British command, mm-hmm. and uh, and of course that started morning, with Vimy. I guess uh, we're going to leave right now, Brian. Stick around for the ceremony itself. We're going to turn it over now to uh, Dave Steckerman, who will be acting as master of ceremonies for the the rest of this program. We will begin by singing the national anthem sung by Serena Payton and with the HMCS Star Band. I would now like to introduce Padre Major Robert Feed for our opening prayer. Today we gather to honor those who have served our country in times of war and in times of peace, and to remember with gratitude those who have paid the ultimate sacrifice for the cause of freedom and peace. The poppies we wear symbolize our commitment to never forget their service to our country and to the world. For those who wish to join me in prayer, I invite you to turn your hearts to the God of your understanding. For those who prefer not to pray, I invite you to take this moment in personal silent reflection. Creator of all, We thank you for this country of Canada, 
which is the home to so many peoples from every race, language, religion, and way of life. We thank you for the peace and freedoms that we enjoy in this land. We pray for peace in a world destabilized and torn apart by so many conflicts. May we continue to strive for peace among nations, peace in our homes, and peace in our hearts. We pray for our Sovereign Lady, Elizabeth II, Queen of Canada, for the Governor General, the Prime Minister, our Chief of Defence Staff, and all who lead and govern us, that they may have the wisdom, integrity, and compassion to give leadership in these challenging times. We pray for all those brave men and women who have served in conflicts past and have experienced the horrors of war, for those who have died and for those who are wounded in body, mind, and spirit. May all of us be deeply conscious of their sacrifice and be true to our promise to never forget. We ask you to watch over all who presently are serving in our armed forces at home and abroad and for their families. We pray for their safety, health, and well-being. May Canada continue to strive to be a nation of peace and a blessing to all the nations of the earth. Let this be so. Amen. I now call upon those with wreaths to proceed to the cenotaph while the band plays the hymn, Abide With Me. Deep and glories pass 
sunshine, Lord, abide with me. I fear no foe with you at hand to bless. Ills have no weight and tears no
We will now observe two minutes of silence.
So in order to have our wreath laying end and uh, two minutes of silence at 11 o'clock, uh, we managed to jump ahead a little bit. And now we, what I'd like to do is introduce Nicole Jones of the Urban Indigenous Strategy and Jordan Matherin of the Catholic High School to come forward and read in Flanders Fields in our two national, sorry, national languages. Thank you. In Flanders fields, the poppies blow between the crosses, row on row, that mark our place and in the sky. The larks still bravely singing fly, scars here amid the guns below. Nous sommes morts il y a à peine quelques jours. Nous connaissons les joies de la vie, de l'amour, la fraîcheur de l'aurore, les lueurs du ponant. Maintenant, nos corps sans vie reposent en ce flamand. Nos mains inanimées vous tendent le flambeau. C'est à vous, à présent, de le tenir bien haut, de contre l'ennemi reprendre la querelle. If ye break faith with us who die, we shall not sleep through poppies grow in Flanders fields. Thank you both very much. I would now like to welcome Commodore Sharpen of the Royal Canadian Navy to come forward and read the Act of Remembrance. They shall grow not old as we that are left grow old. Age will not weary them nor the years condemn. At the going down of the sun and in the morning, we will remember them. Prayed, stand easy. At this time, we're pleased to welcome the students of the Native Youth Adva Advancement for the Education Hamilton for a traditional drumming song.
At this time, I'd like to call Master Corporal McCleary to come forward and read the commitment to remember. They were young, as we are young. They served, giving freely of themselves. To them, we pledge, amid the winds of time, to carry their torch and never forget, we will remember them. Please join us in enjoying a song from the Hamilton Children's Choir. Bye. 
At this time, I call upon Pastor Kevin Makins for the reflection. Thank you. Mayor Eisenberger, city councilors, Hamilton veterans, Silver Cross families, members of government, ladies, gentlemen, children, Hamiltonians. I'm very grateful and humbled to be invited to offer some reflections this Remembrance Day. When I first received the invitation, I assumed there was a miscommunication. When it comes to honoring veterans and remembering those we have lost, there are churches, mosques, and synagogues who have been far more directly affected than us. My community, Eucharist Church, is made up largely of young people in their 20s and 30s, millennials, few of whom have ever been directly affected by war, most of whom are separated from World War I and II by multiple generations. When I mentioned this to the person inviting me, they said that's exactly why they asked, to help answer the question, what does Remembrance Day mean to young people? To me, Remembrance Day is sitting on a cold gymnasium floor, gathered for assembly, and my mom helping me pin a poppy on my shirt without stabbing my finger, and black and white movies with dramatic voiceovers. It was the foreign and beautiful sound of the bagpipe, and in Flanders Field, where poppies grow, and two minutes of silence in an otherwise very loud world. Even then, as a child, I knew there was something special about Remembrance Day. There was something important, even sacred, about this annual rhythm that disrupted our classes, our tests, and even our talking. Once a year, for half an hour, we would look back on our shared history and vow to remember. But to young, media-saturated minds, it can also feel timeless, flat, two-dimensional. For my generation, the First and Second World War live in the realm of movies and video games and comic books, along with stories of aliens invading Washington and hobbits delivering the One Ring to Mount Doom. And, and please hear me, I don't say this to be crude or to be crass, but to be honest, honest that for most of my life, that is where it lived. And while I knew that, unlike all those other stories, there was a real-world cost to the wars, it was just too far removed from me for it to really take on flesh and blood. My grandma, Eileen, is charming, smart, and at 93 years old, regularly still beats me in euchre. Five years ago, on a Christmas afternoon, I got to sit down with her and listen to her tell stories of her life, and as she did, it was like a whole new world was opening up before me. We talked about her parents and how the First World War impacted their lives, what it was like raising children in the 40s and 50s, and how her and Grandpa fell in love. They met at a dance in the late 30s, back in the days where people went to dances to actually dance. She told me how he swept her off her feet and how they started preparing for their future together and how the war began and interrupted all their plans. 
For years, their dreams were frozen in time as soldiers and sailors, air crew and nurses were sent overseas. Others, like my grandpa, worked in repair shops or mess halls. My grandma and the others left behind struggled to keep the world turning, raising and teaching children, stepping into the workforce, rationing food, all the work that exhausts us today picked up by a fraction of the population. And as Grandma shared these stories with me, something happened inside my heart. The stories took on flesh and blood. It was sitting right here, right in front of me. These were real men and women, just like you and I, who were swept up into an incredibly complicated and challenging situation whose present and future would be forever shaped by war. Some of those people are standing here today. This had a rolling effect on me. As her story took on flesh and blood, so did the stories of others. Those who lost friends and family in the world wars. Those whose loved ones were sent to Korea or Afghanistan. The stories of those in our city who have fled from places of war to the safety of Canada. Real people who had violent conflict thrust on them. And people who responded with bravery, courage, and dignity. With hope and faith. Men and women who willingly picked up their responsibilities, sacrificing their plans and future for others. We need to remember that. We need to remember loved ones leaving and not returning. We need to remember those who came back haunted by what they had experienced. We need to remember exhausted mothers putting their children to sleep alone. And we need to remember the men and women killed by our soldiers, whose families and communities were also forever changed by war. We need to remember how much war took from us. We need to hear the stories and ensure they are retold well. We must stand on guard. We must continue to guard our memory. One Christian group I deeply respect is Mennonite Central Committee, who during this season say, to remember is to work for peace. It would be far too easy for those of us who have not experienced war firsthand to sit back and be passive. But true remembrance calls us to action. To remember is to work for peace. To remember is to guard the peace and health of our marriages, families, and friendships. To remember is to teach our children that every single person is worthy of dignity and love. To remember is to stand against bullying and harassment wherever we see it. To remember is to practice forgiveness, especially when it costs us. To remember is to be willing to serve our neighbors, even if it interrupts our plans. 
to remember is to welcome into our city those who have fled places of war and conflict. To remember is to continue the process of reconciliation with our First Nation brothers and sisters. To remember is to ensure safe, affordable housing to those displaced by Hamilton's revitalization. To remember is to shape a city where all people can find home, regardless of age, gender, sexual orientation, economic standing, politics, or religion. To remember is to work for peace. Today, we honor and remember those who have sacrificed so that we might have peace. Today, we honor and remember those who faced the hell of war, whether this year or 100 years ago. Today, we honor and remember those whose hearts still grieve. We stand with you. We thank you. May we continue to sit on cold gymnasium floors for assembly and pin poppies on our jackets and read in Flanders Field and stand in silence and listen to the stories told by our loved ones. May we continue to remember. May we continue to work for peace. Ladies and gentlemen, God save the Queen. have the blessing from Padre Feed. Let us remember before God and commend to his sure keeping those who have died for their country in war, those whom we knew and those whose memory we treasure and all who have lived and died in the service of humankind. May God hold them and all of us in the palm of his hand. Amen.
At this time, I'd like to say thank you to our Silver Cross family, all members of government, parade participants, and all citizens who have joined us today to remember. You always give us a good crowd, Hamilton. I'm very proud of you. Thank you very much. Okay. For those of you who have... For those of you who have laid wreaths here today, we only have the one ceremony. Uh, at the end of the ceremony, please come forward and take your wreaths with you. This completes our ceremony for today. All unit commanders are now asked to take command of their organizations to march them off and dismiss them as they see fit. And with that, from Master of Ceremonies Dave Steckham, a member of the Veterans Committee, of course, here, uh, we conclude the uh, ceremony at the Cenotaph, but, uh, but not our program. We'll take a short time out. Special edition of the Bill Kelly Show coming to you, of course, from the Cenotaph at Gore Park, Remembrance Day on 900 CHML. With my uh, co-host uh, for the segment, Brian Hanley, of course, a local Hamilton historian, and the mayor for the city of Hamilton, uh, Mayor Fred Eisenberger. Uh, good to have you uh, with us again, Mr. Mayor. Thanks so much. Uh, we should uh, remind our listeners, of course, that uh, Eisenberger is uh, Dutch heritage, something that you remind me about every time there's a World Cup event. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and we lose, unfortunately. Well, yeah. that's also close. Yes. Uh, but anyway, but you, you tell the story so well, though, Fred, about the, the impact that, uh, that Canadian forces had uh, that, uh, in, in Holland, of course, and... and uh, it's it's a very touching story, and I know you've been back a number of times uh, to your hometown, and uh, and they remember Canadians well, don't they? Absolutely, they do. I mean, the uh, the love between the Dutch and the Canadians is enduring, and uh, you know the tulips bloom uh, every year in Ottawa as a result of that uh, great respect for the liberation. The Canadians were the first ones in to liberate. Uh, good chunks of Holland, most of Holland, in fact. My mother tells me of a, of a great story of the uh, celebration in the, uh, the the dam, or the dam, in Amsterdam, the central plaza. Uh, they had a great party, and every time I see veterans, I say, my mother tells me about kissing a lot of soldiers. <laughs> and it might have been one of you guys, I forgive you. But, uh, but and, and she also tells me, and you know, every time the Lancaster comes over, she told me about the, the times when uh, there were like four or five hundred Lancasters coming over from from England going to Germany, flying low and fast. And uh, I just can't imagine the, uh, the impact of 500 Lancasters coming over and uh, the whole place would rumble and shake. Uh, I mean, war years uh, were tough years for everybody, in the, in, certainly in Europe. And, uh, and Holland uh, had its challenges too, but the respect that the Canadians and the Dutch have for one another is, uh, is like, like I said, enduring. It's, it's one of those things, uh, Brian and I were talking about this earlier, that for a lot of us, and, and, and I think we heard that during uh, the ceremonies, it, it's almost an abstract, but for your family, of course, it, it was very real. I mean, they saw that every day. Well, not only that, I mean, the, the reason that my family immigrated was because after the war, the, the countries were so decimated that uh, they couldn't afford to keep people. They were actually providing incentives for people to uh, to leave the country because they couldn't afford to keep them in the and, and, and the infrastructure uh, so damaged and uh, uh, jobs weren't there. And so uh, uh, my family actually moved as a result, uh, you know, 1955-ish, uh, because the jobs weren't there and they were looking for employment in other places. And that happened uh, throughout Europe. So that, that was uh, an Italian issue. A lot of Italians came out of uh, Italy at the time. Uh, England. Uh, I mean, a lot of countries that just could not afford to keep people and uh, encourage them to move elsewhere. 
But there's something about that history, though, Brian. That, that, that those people, like the Eisenbergers and so many others, mm-hmm. chose chose Hamilton. Yeah. Well, it's a wonderful place, welcoming place. It still is for uh, refugees, uh, in particular. But I guess one of the the factors, though, Fred, was jobs. I mean, Industrial you know, heartland. Yeah. Uh, so my dad was a plumber, steam fitter. Uh, you know, the uh, where where all the jobs were in Canada at the time was right here in Ontario, right here in Hamilton. So he uh, he ended up an international harvester, as many many did in the industry that we uh, used to have, that uh, you know covered our entire waterfront. So that was the attractor for him. And and in and in those days, you know, there wasn't a very strong uh, social uh, government uh, support network, but it was all about uh, those that were already here yes, yes. helping those that that were coming to establish themselves and uh, and find jobs and find employment. And in those days. Uh, employment was relatively easy to get as compared to today where uh, you know it's much more challenging yeah. so uh, he had a great career and uh, never regretted for a day the move into the into canada hmm. but it really shaped the fabric of the city didn't it that, Very that, much that, so, that yeah. mass immigration from europe mm-hmm. over to here yeah and it's one of our strengths and it continues so so you know what uh, you know the the, the pastor uh, you know reflected on not only war but uh, the current conflicts that are happening in the world today and i think we could take some time to reflect on some 40 or 50 million people living in refugee camps today yeah. as a result of uh, you know running away from conflict and we had our Syrian intake, and, uh, and the city has done. They, they've stepped up just as we they did back in the 1950s. And I think Canada has, and I think we should continue to do that. Sure. Uh, those yeah. are those are people that are uh, you know folks that that want to have what we have. They just want to have a safe place to raise their family and have employment and a job, and yeah. and uh, and they're living in refugee camps. Some of them for 20 or 30 years at a time. I mean, yeah. it's a tragedy, and uh, whatever we can do to help that, I think would be helpful. But remembering that, I think, is also something we can reflect on today. But as uh, as the the words of this uh, during the ceremony as well, though, I mean, the city has a role to play in that, and. And, and this council, to their credit, has done that with their commitment to things like affordable housing and a number of other projects. And you spearheaded uh, a, a one of those great initiatives about actually setting money aside for those people. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, we have to be mindful. It all starts with a roof over their head. It starts with a roof over their heads. It starts with uh, the uh, a good education and making sure that our educational system is accessible to, uh, to all. It, it starts with uh, English as a second language and the kind of training we provide. We can we can house and and support a lot more people in Canada than we have, and uh, and we are that that welcoming place that embraces not only uh, or not encourages people that not only encourages them to become Canadian but encourages them to retain their ethnic background and their culture and their traditions and bring them here and share them with everybody yeah. and make uh, the fabric uh, fabrics of our community so much better. Yeah. As uh, Dave uh, Steckham was talking about uh, the master ceremonies during the ceremony, and, and I, both of you have commented about this in past years, uh, the size of the crowd. It's Saturday morning, it's a chilly day today. I, again, I can't believe the sea of humanity that shows up for this every mm-hmm. year. I have to a little kudos to the City of Hamilton staff that worked so hard on this, and you could just, today was a result, you could see a result of a lot of good organization and good hard work, so that we have them. a great we have a great veterans committee uh, that that has been going for many 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 years and there's some renewal there as well some some new people are stepping up and uh, we have our great veterans place here in the a renewed Gore Park yeah. so it's uh, it's always a, a great opportunity to bring people together this year we had the benefit of having only one day so it uh, it does kind of bring a, a larger crowd together at the same time but this ceremony is happening at the same time in uh, in cenotaphs from Dundas to uh, Waterdown to Stony Creek. Uh, the uh, the Canadian War Plane Heritage Museum is uh, is always a big crowd as well. The, 
I think the, the hardier souls are standing out here on the street, and the, uh, you know, the others are up in the, uh, the warmth of the Canadian Warplane Heritage Museum. But respecting, respecting all the same issue, which is uh, not only reflecting on those that have served uh, in the past, but those that are serving today, and remembering those that are uh, struggling through war-torn uh, countries. But uh, kudos to the Warplane Heritage Museum, though, because they did loan us, I guess, uh, Dave Rohr, who I flew over in the yep. Lancaster just uh, twice, I guess, during the ceremony today. Mr. Mayor, always a pleasure. Great to see you and uh, other members of council, of course, here at this ceremony. I'm sure that the uh, the rest of the councillors were at their various cenotaphs in their particular uh, wards as well. Thanks so much uh, on behalf of all of us uh, for the great work that the city staff have done to put this whole thing together. Well, thank you to CHRL for continuing to cover this. Yeah. Uh, you're here every year and, uh, you know, t- talking to the people that uh, are either uh, leaders, uh, leading uh, leading the ceremonies or participating in them. And uh, that is so, so very important because the broader population needs to be very much part of the celebration. Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger. Thanks again, Mr. Mayor. Thank you. Want to bring in our next guest, Navy Commander Craig Skirpin from HMCS Star. First of all, great to have you here. Thanks so much. Oh, it's uh, fantastic to be here. Actually, I even flew in from uh, Halifax. Um, I'm here to represent that part of the Navy, but I'm I'm the fleet commander over there in uh, Halifax. The ships. Uh, How does a guy from Saskatoon get involved in the Navy? Well, it's it's really simple. You just go down to your uh, local reserve uh, unit, and you have one here in Hamilton, HMCS Star, yeah. and they'd be happy to sign you up into the reserves. And if you like that, well, heck, you can uh, join the regular force and make a career of it like I have uh, done over the last 28 years. 28 years, and you've seen the world? I have seen the world. I There are very few places I haven't been. I've been to the Gulf, Mediterranean, uh, North Atlantic, uh, the Pacific, Hawaii. I tell you, if you get... Uh, a chance to serve in the West Coast, uh, you can do that. And uh, I, I say it's the most rewarding thing anybody could uh, ever do. We, we heard the stories, and we've talked with a lot of the folks uh, today, veterans uh, who have served in wars and, and served overseas. Uh, and, and the Navy plays a very important role in that, too. And we were, Brian and I were talking about how uh, when, when we're dealing with family, it seems to have a special significance. Uh, my, my uncle, Tom, served in the Navy during World War II. Uh, and you heard some fabulous stories about about their exploits and things of that nature. But that's that's a part of that story that needs to be told, isn't it? Yeah, it sure does. Now, if you look at it right now, we have uh, two ships uh, operating uh, in Operation Carib. So down in the Caribbean doing counter-drug. We got uh, two ships over in uh, Europe. We have a submarine uh, operating with our allies near Japan. And the thing that supports all those sailors are the, are the families. And when you start to think of somebody being away from home for six months and you look at that time and what that's like uh, with their family and kids you know some of these uh, people have been away they've missed the beginning of school right they've missed uh, halloween thanksgiving and they're gonna miss christmas with their families now we do the best we can in the navy to make sure they get lots of connection at home emails uh, when they get in uh, maybe get some video but you know it's just not possible to do it without the support of the families and and they're just incredibly strong people to be able to do that without you know their loved one with them all the time so that support is paramount to but, be but able that to role do is it, it's it's incredible you're on duty all the time i mean we think of, of remembrance day we think of wartime and the contributions and the sacrifice 
But that's going on all the time. You just mentioned a couple of different programs that the, the Canadian Navy is involved in right now, different parts of the world, always on duty because there's, there's always something going on in, in these coordinated uh, efforts that are, that are happening with the armed forces. Yeah, it sure is. Now, you look at the Army, the Air Force, and the Navy, of course, are uh, global. The big one that we're uh, mission that all of us, uh, or the Army, Navy, and Air Force are on is that uh, OP reassurance um, with uh, fighter aircraft at the time, the Army and Latvia, and we have HMC at Charlottetown uh, right now, and uh, she's supporting that effort, working with our NATO allies. So, you know, there are hundreds to thousands of uh, Canadian Armed Forces personnel, global, helping to make the world a better place. Well, uh, thank you for popping in from Halifax. I just mentioned before we started the segment here, my wife just got back from there a couple of weeks ago, and uh, the, the naval presence there is uh, incres- impressive and uh uh, and I think reassuring in many ways, too. And it's it's a great part of the Canadian history, too. Thanks so much for being on the program today. Uh, it was uh, great to be here. Thank you uh, so much. Navy Commodore Craig Skirpin, uh, thanks again. Uh, and my co-host, Brian Hanley. Brian, as always, thanks so much for being with Phil, us today. Wonderful. Wouldn't be a broadcast without you and your uh, fabulous contributions to the program well, as well. It's great. And, and again, as I mentioned, uh, kudos to CHML for, for doing this. It's, it's important. Well, it is our honor to do that. Uh, thanks to our crew here on site, to Glenn Murphy, of course, in charge of the production crew, our CHML. HML Road Team, Ben back in the studios. The executive producer of the Remembrance Day broadcast is Jeff Story. I'm Bill Kelly. Thank you so much for listening on 900 CHML.